All right, folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 251. You know, I used to have a script, and it was so much easier. I'm doing this off the cuff, and it's totally screwed me up. All right, folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 251, and today we're going to be talking about The Haunting. This great and fantastic film stars... A whole bunch of people that you probably have never heard of, but I'm going to list a few of them anyway. Uh, Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, and Russ Tamlin. I am your host. I'm your stand-in host, Steve Michaels. And joining me is my very good, dear friend. Uh, And because I'm doing this off the cuff, I don't have any special nickname for my good and dear friend, Ken. Just call me the poltergeist. There you go. Very good. And also joining us is our other good and dear friend and the uh, guy who recommended this movie for us to review, the Reverend Deuteronomy Skaggs, also known as Brian. You know, I just hope that after recommending this movie that we don't burn this place down and sow the ground with salt. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about that after... After the last text I just got from Muncie. But uh, anyway, uh, so folks, yeah, you've got me again. It has been, um, it's been a few, it's been a few weeks. Jeff has been having trouble with the ionosphere on his computer. And um, uh, he had some last minute uh, family issues that he had to do. So he asked me if I could once again step in. I'm starting to feel like Al Pacino in Godfather 3, just so you know. (laughs) But... uh, that being said, uh, hey, we're going to do this movie. And, uh, you know, in the past, we used to do a few of them. And, uh, but like I said, because of, uh, you know, life got in the way, we're just going to be doing this one, but we will get this one up there before Halloween. But, um, anyway, uh, this movie here, uh, I was just going to mention, just, uh, saying, I remember seeing the remake and, and the remake, I think was, uh, what the hell was that, Brian? In the nineties or something? I think. Yeah, I had Liam Neeson and yeah. uh, who's the chick that's married to Michael Douglas? Uh, uh, Catherine Cat- Zeta Jones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they were yeah. in it, and uh, and and at the time when I saw it, I didn't realize I was watching a remake. So I will just say this: uh, this one here, this was made in nineteen sixty three, and I will say this is a far superior movie. This is actually a very good movie. Uh, I, I highly recommend this. It's, it's actually downright creepy. And there's a few things that I'm going to, uh, get into, especially, uh, when I talk to my good and dear friend Brian to see if he picked up on anything. But anyway, we're going to talk about the haunting. And, um, uh, and one of the guys we talked about, uh, offline, we talked about the, uh, the director, Robert Wise. Uh, he directed this, and Robert Wise is uh, known for a lot of very, very well, well-known movies. West Side Story, Sound of Music, The Andromeda Strain. Heck, he did Star Trek Motion Picture. Uh, he, uh, he's quite prolific and, and, and obviously a, a very accomplished uh, director. But um, I, again, this, this is actually my first viewing because, honestly, I didn't realize this was uh, – uh, this was like the original, like the one that I saw with Liam Neeson. I just thought that was a that was a movie. Didn't realize that was a remake. And as most remakes go, um, compared to the original, it sucked. But um, 
that being said, I'm going to kind of open it up. Brian, I'm going to throw it over to you. You recommended this movie. So, um, uh, general thoughts. What do you think? Well, I, I'll be honest. I was a little worried when I recommended this movie because I, I watched this movie probably 69, 70 when I would have been about 10 years old. And it's just scared the bejeebers out of me. And I watched it again about four or five years ago, and I still thought it was great. Uh, I, I, my concern was, I thought, man, this isn't exactly a man cave movie. It's not like there's a lot of gunplay and fist fights or anything like that. But it was a genuinely creepy movie. I mean, I, I, it's not by today's standards in terms of heads rolling around and all that kind of stuff. But it was just, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, there's nothing in the world that scares me. I don't know what it is. Ghost movies get under my skin. They bug the crap out of me. I don't like to hear ghost stories. I don't generally can't really sit and watch ghosts. I mean, I can watch movies where just guys are getting massacred left and right, but you start selling a ghost story. And I just, I don't know. I just gets under my skin. Well, this movie did. And uh, when I rewatched it a few years ago, same thing. I mean, uh, the atmospherics of the movie were just creepy. Uh, but it's very much a psychological movie. Uh Again, I was very worried. I thought, I don't know what these guys are going to think of this, but to me, this is a potentially, a, it's kind of a scary movie. I mean, uh, and you mentioned that you had seen a movie uh, with Ray Milan, I think called The Uninvited, Steve, that you yes. liked. Yes. And and uh, part of the reason I recommended it, I thought, well, if Steve liked The Uninvited, I think he'd like this too. And that's an older movie than this, but it has a very yes. similar feel. Um, uh, I would say less it, creepy. Um by by the uninvited oh absolutely the uninvited's got um well ray milan's in it so there's um it's brother and sister right it's a brother and sister and then there's mm -hmm. the girl that owned this old house and i mean part of it is is that especially at that time um there there was a i, I shouldn't say there was like there were some light-hearted moments there was a little and, and it just the atmosphere. I like in this movie, it was like they're in a haunted house and they never left that haunted house. Whereas in the uninvited, there was like scenery changes. They were outside. Um, it, it was a different movie. It was a very good movie. I would love to do the uninvited sometime, but, um, but this, this movie, uh, like you said, it, it it's very, it's actually really creepy because it's all, it all takes place in one spot. There, there's very little, I mean, outside of the, 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 the point where they're driving up to the house and driving out of the house, uh, there's not a lot of scenery changes. But um, all right. Uh, sorry about that uh, little break there, folks. I had a technical issue, but uh, Brian was about to say something. Oh, just part of the appeal to me when I watched it was I'd never seen a movie where they said, hey, we're going to study the supernatural as a scientist. And that was that was, I think, what drew me in as a kid. Like, hey, wow, you know, it's not just a bunch of guys. You know, it's, not, it's not the Bowery Boys or Edward, you know, Abbott and Costello going into the uh, haunted mansion sort of thing. This is like, wow, they're going to study this. Maybe this is a real thing. So that was a draw. But uh, but I'll defer to you know to Ken, obviously. But it was just you know, this movie has always scared me. Ghost stories scare the bejeebers out of me. So that's kind of why I picked it. So what you're cool. saying is this movie is the inspiration for Ghostbusters. <laughs> I think so, yes. 
<laughs> I, I actually think it never occurred to me until you just made that statement, but yeah, Ghostbusters is all around using science to understand ghosts and then using it for wacky comedy effects. This is about using science to understand ghosts, but using it for psychological drama, mm-hmm. turmoil, confusion. It's a psychological study. I mean, it is. It's not a. It's far from a classic, you know, slasher, scary movie like we're used to. You know, we since I mean, I'm going to say that since the '80s or so, most horror movies are just piling on more and more blood and gore and things like that. That's not what this is about. It is creepy. It is scary. Uh, a thing that got me about this when I started doing my research is just the fact that. You know, when Robert Wise did this, he shoehorned it between West Side Story and The Sound of Music. I mean, those two movies have the very least to do with this genre of anything I can think of. Just goes to his credit as a, you know, producer director. Uh, I'd never seen it, I'd never seen the remake. So this was all new to me. Uh, it is mostly just shot on sets. Mm-hmm. Although they did a good job designing the sets to make them sort of confusing, claustrophobic, uh, disturbing. I mean, it's, you, you feel uneasy every time you go into a room. But, uh, you know, I mean, I sat there having second thoughts about, well, like, if this place is haunted and kills people and everything, why do they, like, do such a good job of keeping it all clean and spiffy and all so people can come in and hang around in it? I'd burn (laughs) it down myself, but that's just me. But that's my opening thoughts, so I'll hand it back off. Steve? All right. Well, Brian, I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, When I was watching this movie, and actually, before I get into that, we should probably kind of preface uh, to the listeners, uh, if I haven't already, yeah, we already did about this is actually the original from a remake. And mm-hmm. okay, like I said, the one thing I do want to say about this is that this was made in 1963. Um, so this is, um, this is actually made before I was born. Uh, so it's, it's quite a few years <laughs> older than me by about like four years, but it, I think it's it's a very well done movie in terms of uh, the cinematography, the acting. I think the acting was really really good in it. And again, this is kind of one of those movies that I think when you watch for the period it was in, it was kind of groundbreaking in terms of just how creepy it is. I mean, I well, watch I, I've got to throw in. Sure. This thing consistently gets high ratings. Many very influential people in the film industry hold this film in high regard in terms it's, of its, it's effect Cop- on horror it's Coppola's, it's Coppola's favorite. Scorsese's favorite, I think. Oh, Scorsese, I'm yeah. sorry. My bad. Yeah, it's, it is, it's really good because it is all um, – a lot of it is all psychological. You never actually see a ghost. You hear you hear things. The breathing um, door. Just when I watch this, the, the 
I, I about shat myself when I was a kid when that happened. I'm sorry. Okay. That, I will always remember that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm just going to throw this out there, Brian. I'm, I'm going to get it out there before I, I, I forget. But um, I worked half day today. So me and Deb actually were watching this in the middle of the day. So we're laying on the couch and we're watching the movie. Neither of us have ever seen this. So this is a first mm-hmm. showing for us. And, you know, at one point we were sitting there and it was like we almost, there was a couple of scenes where we, we literally like looked at each other and I go, did Disney fucking rip this movie off for Haunted Mansion? Oh, when he, when he, when they were going up that stairwell in that, the library, uh huh. And you, I'm sitting there going, I Steve, the exact same thing crossed my mind. I go, oh my god, this is haunted mansion. This is the opening room in haunted mansion. Brian, go back and look at the wallpaper. That same was wallpaper. The, the, Deb pointed it out. She's like, Jesus Christ, that's the same goddamn wallpapers in haunted mansion. And then there were certain scenes that we kept rewinding and pulling back. There was the one scene where they're kind of walking down this hallway, and it's the one where he's like, oh, let, let's go in this room, and it was the broom closet. Mm-hmm. It was like the way the whole thing, the way the whole place was set up. And there's, um, I'll find it. Deb texted me the uh, the article. I'll send it to you. But there's an article where uh, this person wrote that she's convinced the Imagineers or whoever developed it saw this movie and went, oh, we're going to make this the Haunted Mansion. I, I, I mean, I, I'm with you on that because I thought yeah. the same thing. I thought, wait a minute. And I go, this isn't the Haunted Mansion, particularly that yep. the, the, the tall library room. Yep. Yes, absolutely. That yes. and just the hallways and, oh, and the breathing door. You know that one part where you go by, you yeah. see that door kind of pulsing? Mm-hmm. I mean, they mm-hmm. completely stole that from this movie. So, um, that's the, I, I remember a watch. I'm like, holy crap, this movie's reminding me of the Haunted Mansion. So anyway, that's our, okay. So folks, there's our Disney plug right there. Uh, Brian and I are big Disney fans. So, uh, we had to, we had to throw that out there, but I was wondering if you picked that up or not. But, um, well, I, I told Muncie there night, I said, you know, tur- turn the lights out, have the kids and watch the movie. And I think it would creep out. I think it creeped out in the dark. You know, you know, wise made a conscious decision about black and white in this movie. You know, yes. Yeah. He, he, that, that was a decision he made. Um, the movie has got a lot of other undertones in it. There's some there's some sexual stuff going on there uh, uh, that that they allude to, and I never I never even realized it was in there until I'd read about it. But obviously, I picked up on it on the watching of it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that was there. The one of the interesting aspects of this was the writer initially was having it that it was a breakdown of Julie Harris's that she was in a mental institution, right? And this whole thing was, and they went to the writer and I can't think of her name, but who, but the lady that wrote the original novel. And what happened was Shirley Wise Jackson. Read this novel. What's that? Shirley Jackson. Yes. And they asked Shirley Jackson if she thought about that. She goes, "No, but it sounds like a great idea," you know. But. So, you know, it was it was a haunted mansion story in her mind, not mm-hmm. a mental breakdown of, of the of the Julie Harris character, but that was the direction they were gonna go. And uh, now Wise read the novel while he was doing the finishing of uh, West Side Story, and that's what made him do this. Can he read the novel? He said, Hey, I like it. He bought the I think he bought the rights to it, and then he did this before Sound of Music. So Okay. Which by the way, that guy is so prolific. He did the Sand Pebbles, Steve, and mm-hmm. you know he did Run Silent, Run Deep. 
Day of the Earth Stood Still. He did like 41 movies. I mean, he, he was from Connorsville, Indiana. Well, he went to high school. He was from Winchester and did a little bit of time at Franklin College on the south side of Indianapolis. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. We talked about doing the Sand Pebbles. I think, uh, Ken, I think you brought that one up. Uh, I, I keep saying I think that deserves a review. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's a three-hour movie. So uh, get, get your it's feet. Got, it's one of those old movies with an intermission in it, which is kind of <laughs> nice because I can go make a potty break. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, I, I mean, I, I really did enjoy this and it is, it is actually a very creepy movie, especially for the time it was made. And, and Brian, that was something too that, uh, you know, reading the trivia and, and that about it, the, uh, you know, the character that's played by, um, uh, Claire Bloom, mm-hmm. you know, when she first gets in there, that's what I was telling Deb, as I said, She's like super hot, but I get the impression she doesn't like the smell of a man. And as I'm reading the trivia, I went, yep, nailed it. They, well, <laughs> the, the, the scene they took out of the movie was there was a breakup. And uh, it was going to be a breakup scene with her and her lover, so to speak. But it was written in lipstick yeah. with the implication being it was of another woman. Right. And uh, Wise said, no, he took that out of the movie. Uh but she was clearly, you know, kind of hitting on, but not clearly, I didn't recognize it until I read the background and realized she was kind of hitting on Harris the whole movie. Right. Uh, so, uh, but again, I, I, I'm with you. I'm like, boy, she's, she's, well, I think she was in, uh, she's been in a lot of movies, but she was in the movie with, uh, Richard Burton, like, uh, where he played Alexander the Great. She was like the love interest in that. Right. Pretty lady. Still around. Still around, actually. Uh, Harris is dead, but she's still around. She's like 90 now, I think. Yeah, she's, she's more- in the King, King's Speech, I think, was one of her more recent efforts, if I'm not mistaken. Hell, she's still acting. She's in a, a TV miniseries called Summer of Rockets. So, yeah, she's born, she's born in 1931. So, uh, if Muncie was here, he could actually do the math right off the top of his head. But, uh, yeah, so she's up there in age. Yeah, but Julie Harris, I think 80, she eighty eight. Eighty eight. I think I think Julie Harris was She just died a few years ago. Yeah, I she believe. died in twenty thirteen. She was eighty seven. Yeah. So um Yeah, so she was definitely a few years older. Um She was about thirty five when she did this. Uh so was Johnson. By the way, there's a really interesting piece of trivia about Johnson that you guys as, as uh, gamer guys might appreciate. Uh, but uh they were, I mean, about all of them were in their mid-30s except for Tamblin, I believe, at that, that time. And it was, I, have, it, I, have to, I have to stress that Tamblin's character is such a douche. He is. He is such a <laughs> douche in this movie. Oh, gosh. He didn't want to enough. do the movie. He, he, he was not happy about the movie. Then years later, he said, hey, it's one of the best roles I ever had. But Okay, uh, okay so I, I will tell you this. I remember we were watching this. So it first comes on, and uh, since we're talking about actors, and Deb goes, oh, my God, that's the dude from Hawaii Five O. I'm like, oh, my God, you're right. Oh, she thought it was Dan- Dano. I thought it was. We all thought it was fucking Dano. Um, James MacArthur is who yeah, you thought it was. Yeah, We thought it was James MacArthur. And, I mean, you look up James MacArthur, and you're like, it's the same dude. Same dude. I mean, they same period, same period. They're they're contemporaries. Absolutely, same time. Everything is like you look at pictures of James MacArthur and him. It's like they could be brothers. 
I am not <laughs> shitting. I was convinced that was they got the same fucking hair for God's sake. Well, MacArthur died a few years ago. Tamlin's still around. Tamlin, Tamlin is actually a lot like Dennis Hopper. He was one of those guys that in the late fifties, early sixties, he was kind of an infant terrible sort of you know young hot actor. Uh, and then I don't know what the hell happened, but kind of like Hopper did. All the Hopper probably had drugs and alcohol, but Tamlin just disappeared for like twenty, thirty years. You never saw him until. Uh, Twin Peaks or something like that was on TV, and uh, but even now he's he kind of plays bit roles. His daughter Amber Tamblyn, I don't really know much about her, but I know she's a some kind of celebrity. Um, so, uh, but you know, he was unfortunately kind of at the top of his game then, and his game never really got much better. And then, you know, he ends up doing kind of bit parts when he shows up. Yeah, but I, I was like, when I kept looking up, I'm like, okay, I'm not seeing this guy in Hawaii Five O, and then it turned out I'm like, oh, that's not him. <laughs> But it looks like him. Would yeah, you, no, I agree. I agree. I hadn't thought about it. You said it, but he, he does look like uh, yeah. James MacArthur. Yeah, looks just like him. Looks just like him. So James it, MacArthur, the, he he played a prominent role in that great piece of cinema, The Battle of the Bulge. Oh, well, he was a big Disney guy. He was in the uh, Swiss Family Robinson. MacArthur was. Yep, he was also yep. in some kind of movie where he climbed the Matterhorn. He did a bunch of Disney movies when he was young. So I didn't know he was in the battle, the great cinema. You know, we need to do the, the Battle of the Bulls just to rip it, if for no other reason. <laughs> oh, for Schlock Edition? Oh, I would rip yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and the thing of it is, is that there's actually, it, it's it's kind of sad, and we're going to go off on a rant here. It's kind of sad, but that movie's got some really good parts to it. But it's like uh, probably, probably the problem is it's like it's it, it was like a, a certain author I used to read. He's like, you know, you could take a quarter, you could take a, a you could take a a pint of really good chocolate ice cream and put just a couple of dog turds in there. <laughs> it's still gonna taste like shit. And it's like it doesn't matter how much how good most of the movie is. If there's dog shit in it, it's gonna taste like dog shit. Kind of like Prometheus. Kind of like Prometheus. There we go. So there we go. So that's our that's our sidebar there, folks. Uh, just so you know, you could have a really good movie, but if there's some really shitty parts of it, uh, it's going to be a shitty movie. So, um, but you know, there was, uh, and, and Ken, you probably know this because you've seen the movie, but every time I looked at Richard Johnson in this movie, what the hell was that damn movie? Um, and you and I, I'm trying to remember. We actually, I brought it up in another podcast. I thought he was the, uh, I thought he was the actor in it. Um, it was Forbin, the, remember the, the super. Oh, con- the Forbin. You guys uh, did the Forbin project? We've never done the Forbin project, but I thought this was the actor in that, but it's somebody else, right? Well, the lead, the lead in the Forbin project is the guy used to play in the Rat Patrol. Um, uh, and he played the German, and he's been a big soap opera actor now for like yes. the last forty years. Yes. And I can't think of his name. He had he was Hans Gugelgug or something like that <laughs> in the Rat Patrol. His his name is Raider or something like that these days, I believe. But uh, yeah, he, he's a big soap opera guy. He's been a soap opera guy for years. Braden, Eric they, Braden, I believe. Eric Braden. Eric Braden is his name. But yeah, uh, no, Steve. I mean, yeah. yeah. He, he, had the great it's Susan just a Clark similar look, similar look, similar I look. Did, I did think I do have to say that 
Uh, Richard Johnson, he plays Dr. Mark Way. Again, he's all about science, uh, very fact-based and all. I mean, he was very good in that role. I mean, that's a stereotypical, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but he reminded me of uh, Dr. Challenger, whoever played Dr. Challenger. In the- <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, well, uh, Challenger's, uh, yeah, in the, what was the name of the movie show? Uh, the Lost World. The Lost World, which also had uh, Michael Rennie, who played The Day the Earth Stood Still, but that's an obscure connection. But uh, it, I, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know who played it, though. But, you know, the same thing. I mean, they're both, you know, they're so unflappable. They're so about science and discovering new things. And, you know, he did a very good job at that. Uh, I mean, a problem I had, though, is like, you know, they, they gave a little song and dance about it. But why did he get these, you know, male douchebag, female douchebag and nutcase to help him with his studies? The reason for the women was the uh, what's her name? Uh, I can't think of her name. The, the I, uh, I, yeah, I know you the, know the reasoning. Then okay. I know the reasoning, but that's just a, it's just if I was truly a man of science, I'd leave these dudes out and I'd just like go in the building and figure out what's going on. So, so it was like he hired the uh, scientific crew for the movie Prometheus, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. There's a Promethe- Promethean theme running through. Yeah, this yeah I'm sorry. But Johnson, a little uh, obscure about him. Are any of you guys familiar with Games Workshop? Not Games, yes, Games Workshop. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the Warhammer way of 40K. Warhammer Fantasy, Warhammer Blood Bowl. Yeah. Jervis Johnson, who designed a good number of the games and is a very prolific game designer and well known uh, as a as a executive at Games Workshop, is his son. And again, wow. for people who are aficionados with game designers, Jervis Johnson is one of the more well-known game designers in the world, and the Games Workshop guy. That's, that's his son. That's interesting in today's yeah. world. You are just a font of information. Well, I just uh, it was obscure that I looked up when I looked up his kids. It says father of Jervis Johnson. I'm like, I don't know who that guy is. I've seen him before. And then there was a particular actress that, that appealed to Steve in this movie. Yes, I think. Um, yeah, there is. <laughs> there is. A, there is a particular actress that appealed to me in this movie, and uh, I saw her uh, as soon as she stepped out of the car. I was holy shit! That's Lois Maxwell. It's Miss Money Penny. She's got an interesting history too, just in general. Yeah, she does. But, uh, yeah, she played uh, the wife of uh, Richard Johnson. Uh, she was Grace Markway. She was uh, Dr. John Markway's wife. But, yeah, she was in this. And I remember as soon as she stepped out of the car, I was like, holy shit, money penny. What is Bond? Gonna- <laughs> she, she had done two Bond. She, she had done a Bond movie the year before, and she was doing the second Bond movie, I think, uh, the same year. So she yeah. was well on her way with the Bond films. Right. How many times did she play Money Penny? Oh God! I think up through 1970, didn't she? Yeah, I, I thought I read so. that somewhere. Yeah, she was Money Penny for the longest time. Oh yeah, I'm looking here. I just pulled her up uh, through '83. Oh no, oh, back shit. up. '85, A View to a Kill. 
Oh yeah, she's playing it even when the more was in there. So yeah. Yeah, she did Octopussy for your eyes only and a view to a kill. Interesting lady. She left home at age fifteen and joined like the equivalent of the wax or something in World War Two, if I'm not mistaken. And then when they realized that she was under eighteen, she had to leave it, I believe. Then she studied film with Roger Moore, if I'm not mistaken, I believe, after that. But uh kind of an interesting lady. Wow. Uh, one of the things I thought was funny, the doctor sure was cavalier about his wife disappearing. Did you yeah. catch that? It's like, I, he was not, I mean, he, he, even his wife's gone, he said, we need to get you out of here. You know, where's my, you know, I've been in a panic about my wife as opposed to wanting to get Julie Harris off off the right. premises. I'm, you know, I, and I'm just like, hey, that's a little out of character or that or he doesn't give a shit. One or the I, other. Well, he I, did. I mean, you, you picked that up. I, at least I picked that up. The, the whole time, like he he could care less about his wife. I mean, <laughs> I think she, you're right. All, all she does is sit around and think, "Oh, you should not engage in your scientific efforts." And he was like, "Screw you! I'm, I've got ghosts to study here, woman. Get out of my face." She was not exactly supportive. No. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, I think this movie is like. Uh, what I think of it is, I think it's the classic haunted house movie. And I think this is the, you know, uh, it's definitely a classic, uh, uh, particularly for the time it was made. Um, it's hard to find something better than this, especially, I mean, I, I, I know there's some other stuff that's out there that's good, but I always look at stuff at uh, the time it was made. Uh, you know, this is 1963 and, I can't imagine. I mean, people had to have been shitting themselves in the theater when they saw this back then. Because, again, you have to put these things into perspective and for the time they were made. Well, I'll, I'll make a point. Something that hit me when I was sitting watching this is this movie, to me, had the look of a movie from, like, 1953. Because of the black and white, the right. camera work, everything. Right. Yep. It could have been made 10 years earlier. Well, I mean, the, the movie felt a lot like a Twilight Zone to me. And, you know, I mean, just because, you know, Twilight Zone obviously was in black and white. Now, obviously, that Twilight Zone was the late 50s, early 60s. But, no, I don't disagree. And, again, you know, Wise made a conscious decision to do this in black and white. He didn't have to. Uh, I, and I thought the lighting uh, that they did of the house and the exteriors was particularly haunting. Uh I thought that was, I don't know why, but the house looked sinister, the way they lit it. Um, one of the other things they did is apparently the wallpaper was different in each of the rooms to reflect the character. And uh, so there was variations in the wallpaper, and it was supposed to be kind of symbolic of the character whose room it was in. Obviously, Tamlin, you never saw his room, but you kind of saw everybody else's. Uh, I, I mean... The other part, too, was apparently Julie Harris was kind of standoffish to the group. And uh, there's a lot of different stories about that. One was that she was suffering through depression. One was that she was a method actor and she wanted to isolate herself like in the movie. I get the impression with all the stuff I read, she was just probably a difficult person. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's really what it was because all the cross stories were, you know, at one point she said, well, nobody wanted to hang out with me. And everybody's like. Well, she kind of didn't want to hang out with us, but 
Then we found out that she was doing it on purpose because she wanted and then the, and then you read about her depression. You think, like, I think she might just have been a jerk to work with on that movie. She did have some disagreement with Wise about what the character was supposed to be. They worked it out, and they became, I think, good, long friends. Apparently, Wise was really easy to work with, uh, which makes sense. I mean, he's kind of a Midwestern, probably laid-back guy. Uh, but, uh, but again, my impression was Harris was not exactly the easiest person to be around that movie. She was the star. Right. I mean, the movie's about her. Well, that's what I read. I mean, she uh, looked like she did a lot of theater before that, but, um, I mean, she definitely looked like she was, um, uh, the stuff that I read that she was uh, a little bit maybe of a prima donna, maybe. I don't know. I think she was tough. Yeah. Tough to. And uh, Jordan, I don't think Jordan had done, not Johnson, excuse me, Johnson had done, uh, I think this is probably his first leading man opportunity, was my guess. I don't. I think that sounds right. Um, he didn't. This was. I think. In fact, some folks thought this might be a breakout movie for him, but I don't think it really was. Uh, in, in that regard, in fact, I mean, really, the only long-term star were the two female leads who have have had long careers. Harris was mainly on the stage, <laughs> right? But, but. Uh, and, uh, again, there's some story that I've not seen, but apparently Russ Tamblin had some kind of experience in the real house in the back of the house in the graveyard that I've not been able to identify what that is, but apparently it's on the DVD of the movie that something happened that terrified him. So I don't oh, know what that really? was. Wow. Yeah. Because the, the, the everything was a set, but there was a, there was a mansion, which was in England. Um, uh, and, uh, so they did the outside shots around the mansion uh, in England, but so uh, and again, something happened. I don't, I didn't, I didn't catch what it was. Uh, but but apparently there's a there's a DVD of the movie of Tamlin actually talks about whatever the incident was. Hell, it might have just been a dog scaredy pro. I know, but I don't, I you know, but something was supposedly happened. <laughs> Another factoid was because this was done in England. Apparently, there's some kind of law in England about if you do movies in England, you have to have a certain amount of English actors, and that's why uh, about half of your your cast was English, even though the movie was about uh, was about you know a, a New England uh, a New England uh, mansion. Right. Well, they went to England because it was cheaper. You got a bigger budget over there. Okay. I thought the gatekeeper was uh, portrayed your typical friendly nor- uh, northeasterner. Yeah, uh, you know he came off like, well, that's it. That's the the welcoming uh, arms out northeastern sort of personality. They are friendly people up there, aren't they? <laughs> the church came off that way. Wow. Uh, his wife made me think of uh, the housekeeper, or no, his wife made me think of what's her name, Frau something in Frau Blucher. Uh, Frau Blucher. Uh, and she kept talking about, she kept nattering on and on about nobody stays here after dark. And nobody was ever listening to her when she said it. It was, I always thought was interesting is, is she would say it and like everybody else was talking around her. All right. Well, there you go. Um, let's see. So we've talked about the movie. We've talked about a lot of, we talked a lot of the actors. Um, I think it's time to move on to brother. What you drinking? Brian, are you even drinking anymore? I am not drinking, but I, I have an event tomorrow and Ken will, 
be there. I don't know about you. I think Jeff's going to be there. And I do have, uh, I bought some four crowns or uh, some uh, four roses for that tomorrow. So I will, uh, along with just beer, got a lot of yangling for tomorrow. All right. But I, I would, I would, I would be there, but I do have some prior commitments. No problem. But, um, well, just so you know, I have been sitting here drinking, um, well, I've been drinking since this afternoon, but uh, lightly, lightly drinking. But I have been drinking some Brew Dog, um, uh, Brew Dog beer from Ohio, uh, the Hazy Jane IPA. It's very good. It's a hazy New England IPA, and I'm sipping a little uh, bourbon to go with it. So, what bourbon may I ask? Well, I got, well, it's a bourbon that, uh, actually it is, uh, uh, actually it's just pretty basic as Elijah Craig. Oh yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Not nothing, nothing major fancy. Just, um, prior to that, I was, uh, drinking a little bit of Weller's, but, um, not much. I have to save that for the wife. Debbie is become very fond of bourbon as of late so that shows her refined character god knows that uh it wasn't from marrying me so um let's see and so that leads us up to catching up with ken and ken i think you've got some catching up to do with us well i got a lot of catching up i won't bore the re- the uh, listeners too long, but I did have a trip over to Paris. Uh, had a good time running around that town, hobnobbing with the locals, eating massive quantities of chocolate mousse and gelato, <laughs> and drinking wine, red wine. Uh, fun time in Paris. Uh, tonight, I met some friends at the Hilltop Tavern before the show, and there I was drinking Jack and Diet, but to prepare for the movie here, I was thinking like, okay, I need to pick an appropriate drink. Uh, this movie is set in America at the Hill House, correct? Correct. And it's fair to say that certain characters felt like they were having a descent into hell while they were at the Hill House. Would <laughs> that be right? Well, at least one did, Definitely. Yes, and uh, what's the opposite of hell? Heaven? I'm drinking Heaven Hill and Diet Coke. That fine American bourbon. Nice. Sweet. I know it took a long time to get there. I, I had to work and I couldn't think of a good angle, but Well, um, share a little bit about Paris. I'm sure the listeners would love to know, particularly like uh, a certain tomb that you may have. Yes, visited. I did. I did. I did go to Napoleon's tomb. I went to uh, Les Invalides, the French military museum. Uh, it was a highlight of my trip. Only got to see about a quarter of it. Went through the World War One, World War Two section. Huh. Just entered the. Louis the Fourteenth to Napoleon section when the place closed. Need to go back there someday. Uh, Invalides basically was a 
home for disabled veterans built by Louis the Fourteenth because he fought so many wars that he had many many disabled men wandering around Paris. We got a nice home for them all. And they converted it into Napoleon's tomb. Also in Napoleon's tomb, they had a Ferdinand Foch is off in an alcove. The great uh, siege master, General Vauban, is in there, among other great military leaders of France. I know it's common in America to make fun of the French military tradition, but they got a military tradition and the French kicked ass for much of their their history. Uh, the tomb is very impressive, uh, very somber, very, you know, nice. Uh, one thing that was <laughs> kind of bothersome, while we're in the, the uh, museum, my friend Joe and I, we were looking at, we got to the World War II section, we we're looking at this picture of Adolf Hitler in Paris. And we're going like, damn it. They took that picture. He was he was eating at the same restaurant we just ate at last night. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was kind of disturbing. Oh. But no, uh, again, Invalides is not like your classic French. Most tourists don't run to that place uh, to view French military history. It goes all the way back to the, the Romans and ancient Franks. I didn't get to get into those sections. But, uh, again, I may get back there someday, and if I do, I will block out a whole day to go to that museum. Got to the Louvre, saw a little bit of Louvre, saw a little bit of Versailles, uh, saw Montmartre and Sacre Coeur, went to, uh, got a front row dead center seat at Moulin Rouge to see the whole festive French theater production that Moulin Rouge is. Uh, did you know that the, the women at Moulin Rouge are topless. Did you know that? I did. I, I did not. I, I I didn't notice it when I was there, but I realized later that like this was probably the case. Back Rob, up a little I, bit. You, you didn't notice it when you were there. Uh, actually, I did. Oh, all right. Okay. I'm but sorry. I had to. I had to make allegations to various women in a group. Like I, I, I'm just admiring the stagecraft and fine costumes that go into this show. So. Right. Yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm weak and a failure. Ate lots of really good food. <laughs> uh, walked around a lot. Got a good feel for the capital of Paris. So yeah, that's ca- catching up with Ken. I had a good time in Paris, and maybe I'll be back someday. Who knows? Nice. Was the food everything that you had hoped? The food was good. Especially, well, the thing was, we only spent about half our time in French restaurants. The best French restaurants we went to were off the beaten path, sort of down side streets and all. We had some angle or something. We had a, you know, got to go to it. The, 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 the restaurants that were in the touristy areas, you know, main avenues were good, all good. We wound up eating a lot of pizza though, which isn't really Italian, but like it worked out that, Basically, the women in our group like pizza, so they kept dragging us into pizza places. So like, what what can you say? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I might have curtailed that a little bit. I love pizza, but we, when well, we Rome, pizza, like out of, the, out of the six nights we were there, we had pizza three nights. So, uh, but I had plenty. I had no complaints. Lots of good food. 
Lots of good things to see. It is a different place. They've got their own thing going on. I was able to use my bad high school French uh, successfully. I was amazed at the fact that some people seem to like apparently think I was French. They just like wanted to talk to me. Mm-hmm. So it, French people are very nice, very accommodating. Well, I'd have to say that again, so long as you like train with respect and you know try to use your language, try to meet them halfway. The French people are very nice. And I love France. I mean, it's a great little country to visit. Cool. All right. Well, there you go. That is uh, Brother What You're Drinking and Catching Up with Ken. And um, so, like I said, folks, um, uh, I'm doing this off the cuff. We don't really have the uh, technological capabilities to uh, play some clips. And to be honest with you, this is not a, uh, a clip-worthy movie, I would say. So um, what we'll do is we will move on to the checklist. All right, so number one, did anyone jump out of a window? Uh, no. 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 Nobody no. Nobody even in the history of the house right? jumped no. out of the window. They yeah. jumped off of other things, but not the window. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No. All right. All right, number two, was there a uh, irrelevant female role in the movie? No. I mean, they were the leads, basically. I mean, the women were. There weren't that many people in this movie. There were not. Uh, the closest to an irrelevant role was Russ Tamblin, frankly. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I, mean, I hate to be honest. I yeah, mean, you're right. You're, no, you're absolutely right. It's like, why was he there? I, You know, I think he was there because it was a 1963 movie, and you could not have a man and a woman, or a man in a house alone with two other women. It would have been too, like, whatever. So, actually, uh, that uh, might, I mean, that was back when they were doing, uh, remember when they did, uh, oh, the, the, uh, gosh, dang it. Uh, he was an actor. It was, uh, oh my God. Uh, he and his wife, uh, Rob Petrie, uh, Dick Van Dyke show. Oh yeah. Th- their beds were separate. And I think even when there somebody was laying in a bed, you always had to have like one foot on the floor or something like that. So there were some right. weird things going on back in those days when it came to the movies. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's see. Was there a Wilhelm scream? All right. Was there, there were screams, but they were not of the Wilhelmian variety. Right. Uh, let's see. I would say, could the female role be better played by Tawny Katane? Like in her prime, I don't know. She definitely could have played the uh, Theodora role. Theodora's pretty hot too, but you know, yeah, yeah, Tiny Katane's always going to be hot. You know yeah. what can I say? Right. Um, I'm just going to pass this one. There was absolutely no AT montage in this movie. <laughs> just, just saying. No, it, that's it's not an action movie. No, not at all. It's a psychological movie. No. All right, and last and certainly not least, was there a Babylon Five reference in this movie? And as we discussed earlier, yes, there was. Russ was. Tamlin played in Babylon Five. Yes, Captain Maynard. That's right. In the uh, in Ab- the deep exploration ship. So you remembered yeah. it too, then? I remembered it too. As soon as as soon as I realized he wasn't the guy from Hawaii Five O, I looked it up. I'm like, oh, son of a bitch! That's the guy that played Captain Maynard, Episode One, Season Two, B Five. Correct. Wow. So, yeah. That's, I, I'm just going to say right now. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not too often you could pull a movie that far back. That's exactly right. Where we get a B5 reference. There's only been a couple of others. 
mm-hmm. where we've where we've gotten a B five reference uh, from something that old. So, but anyway, all right, there you go. That is a checklist. So uh, we're now moving on to the man cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. Um, unless Ken wants to do movies of nineteen sixty three. Actually, we have to do the top 10 movies of 1963. God damn it. I See, I'm out Steve, of practice. I'm out I of- applaud the fact that you sat down and you're winging this. Because That's absolutely true. I applaud it. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. But yeah, normally you would have scripts. You'd have whiteboards. You'd have your, your, your staff with the teleprompters. I know. And- They're still collecting unemployment. Sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will jump in. I, I'm not going to make this a big, long talk about 1963, but 1963 actually was a good year for me. I've seen most of these movies, and there's some pretty good man cavish movies in this top 10 list. Nice. So at number 10, we've got the VIPs. Hmm. Uh, this is a Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor vehicle. Uh, this was that they're both of their peaks. So uh, obviously VIPs, I've seen it uh, long ago. Can't tell you much about it, but it's there. At number nine, a movie starring that epitome of man caveism, Bond, James Bond. <laughs> Doctor no, no, where he meets up with Ursula Andress and Jack Lord, and Miss Moneypenny from this movie. Yes, and Miss Moneypenny too. Yes, we've all said this movie's kind of creepy. Number eight in 1963. When I saw it, I was creeped out as well, but but that's to be expected because it's by a master of the creepy movie and that movie would be The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock oh yeah I think I had that on the list didn't I uh, is another movie we can look at for uh, this but uh, Rod, Rod Taylor and uh, oh my god what's her name she was a beautiful woman Tippi uh, Hadron yes at uh, number seven a movie a Disney I don't know, factory piece. I mean, they just crank these things out in a day. But I can tell you, I can remember seeing this movie at the drive-in when I was a young little kid. And that is Son of Flubber. (laughs) Had uh, Robert uh, McMurray, right? Fred uh, McMurray. Fred McMurray. Yeah, it was the uh, sequel to The Absent-Minded Professor. But yeah, yeah, Fred McMurray just cranked that movies well disney just cranked these kind of low ball low rent comedies out back in the day i mean this was the 60s when he got to the 70s was like the computer wore tennis shoes with kurt russell i mean and the love bug they did it's a formula they did it and number six another movie a disney movie which i can remember seeing at the old circle theater my mom took me down there and that is the Sword in the Stone. It's a cartoon version of the Arthur legend. Yep. And it is better than King Arthur. I've never seen that. And I understand it's a really good animated film. It's a good, yeah. I've never good. seen it. 
Oh, it's a Disney. I mean, it's what you expect out of a Disney movie, but it was good. At number... Oh, I lost my count. Number five. We have a little uh, romantic comedy, and it's Irma La Douce with Jack Lemmon. Hmm. Never saw it. Shirley MacLaine, a cast of all sorts of 60s favorites. Uh, I saw it at some point. I can't remember anything about it. At number four, we have Tom Jones. Not the famous singer, but the movie uh, stars Alfred Finney. It's a period piece. Obviously did well. I saw it again. I mean, I saw it when I was like probably a teenager. I've forgotten everything about it. At number three, a great, I'll repeat this, great comedy. I wouldn't mind reviewing it someday. It's got everybody who was anybody in 1963. It's a mad, mad. It's a mad, 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 Uh. mad world. (laughs) That would be good. Which is... Have you seen it, Steve? Which one? A Mad, 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 Mad World. No, I've heard you talk about this before, though. Oh, God. You got to go watch Spencer it. Spencer Tracy. I mean, he was the only straight. Am I right? Tracy's in that, didn't he? Uh, but he's Tracy's a straight man. A straight man, but you got Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Buddy Hackett, Ethel Merman, Dorothy Provine, Mickey Rumi, Dick Sean, Phil Silvers, Terry Thomas, Jonathan Winters, Jimmy Durante, oh. The Three Stooges. Jim Backus and more and more. Jack Benny, uh, you know oh. everybody. Don Knotts, everybody who was anybody in comedy back in the early '60s is in this movie. It's funny. It's worth a laugh. I giggle when I watch it. It still holds up. At number two, a movie which I can remember seeing at the drive-in in my pajamas with a blanket in the back end of the old station wagon because I was like six years old Uh, but another movie with a big scope big cast intermission in the middle because it was like three hours long and that is how the west was won epic film it's got everybody in it nice theme song debbie reynolds john wayne george papard jimmy stewart it can go on and on and on robert preston it, it would be again. It, it's just one of those epic movies they made in those days. Steve, when you go in the Wilderness Lodge at Disney, they're often playing the theme song to "How the West Was Won" in the background. Just give you that. You'll oh, recognize really? the music. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll put in a plug. If you haven't seen it, watch "How the West Is Was Won." Uh, I, a, a thing I like about this is you know, I'm a history buff, and this thing is the history of the West. It's, it sets up a bunch of just interconnected stories with interconnected characters going from about the 1830s up till about like the 1880s. Uh, parts of it are like the Civil War. Parts of it are like Last of the Mohicans. Parts of it are like, you know, your typical Western gunfighter movie. Mm-hmm. But it, it all holds together and... Uh, it's entertaining. Obviously, it was the number two movie. Made a whole bunch of movie in that year. At number one, we have an epic movie. It did very well. It gets, I think it gets 
generally bad reviews today for being overwrought and bad and just uh, whatever. <laughs> but that movie would be Cleopatra with Elizabeth it, Taylor and Richard Burton at their Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor-esque yeah. best. I didn't know it was number one, Ken. I just remember this movie for basically spending so much money. It was too extravagant is what I always remember about it. I didn't, I didn't yeah. realize it was number one movie. I had yeah, no idea. They, just, they just kept pouring money into that movie. It's a solid movie, but it was just for the day, it was full of drama and over-the-topness, and Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor were like... So is he Caesar or Mark Anthony in this movie? Uh, oh, shoot. I think he's... That's a good question. I, I mean, they both had affairs with her. I, I think recall. he's Mark Anthony, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Richard Burton's Mark Anthony. Elizabeth Taylor is Caesar. Rex Harrison, or rather, uh, Elizabeth Taylor is Cleopatra. Rex Harrison is Caesar. Caesar. Roddy McDowell is Augustus. And then you got, yeah, he would be a good Augustus. He, he was a good Augustus. You got Martin Landau, Carol O'Connor. <laughs> I keep, I keep wanting to see him roll up in a Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> I got my medals for you. Yeah. But no, it was a, obviously, it was, it was a tabloid favorite back in those days. So, As, whatever Richard Burton and uh, and she did, it was they passed gas. It was in the it was in the papers. Yeah, and for what it's worth, tying that into our movie we're reviewing tonight, uh, we have. Uh, Oh, what's your name? Uh, I just bloom. Yes, name? she was in. Uh, she was in uh, Alexander the Great with him. Well, yeah, I Claire, know that Claire Bloom was with was with him uh, with uh, him in the Spy Who Came In from the Cold. Yes, which is a great movie. Good movie. It's a John Le Carre um, uh, book as well. Yes. So, anyways, uh, that's the top ten movies of 1963. We can move on. All right. Nice. Thanks, Ken. All right. There you go. That is uh, the top 10 from Ken. So we are now moving on to uh, the review of this great and fantastic film. Um, Ken, I, we're going to leave Brian for last because he recommended I will throw it to you. Well, I got to be honest. You know, I watched this movie and then I did my research. So as I watched the movie, I didn't know that it was like so highly regarded by all these experts and held out as a masterpiece and blah, blah, blah. And all I could think, I'm, I'm sitting here on my couch watching the movie. And at the time, I had to say like, well, you know, I can't really say I liked it. Uh, I don't hate it. It was solid. I was entertained. It had a nice, a lot of nice edges. It's dated. It looks older than it is. It's got some good actors. It's well-written. It is tense. But I'm going to give it a 5.75. That's hmm. tough. That's just me. I mean, who knows more about cinema? Martin Scorsese or me? <laughs> Uh, 
Well, there. Yeah, I guess that uh, that hammer's been uh, thrown down there. So, so this is my first viewing of it. Uh, I saw the remake. Didn't realize there was an original for it, and um, really enjoyed this. It is. It definitely gives you far more of a creepy feel than the remake. Obviously, it's shot in black and white, so that gives a creepy feel altogether. Uh, just the directing, the cinematography, all of that really is what made this movie, in my opinion, um, for that time, pretty creepy. I, I just think it's a, I think it's a solid movie. I'm going to give this movie, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Uh, you know, obviously there's some scarier ones out there, but I mean, I'll go watch this again. I mean, it's 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 a solid movie. It's very very well done, Ryan. You know, again, when I suggested it, one of my biggest concerns was, man, is this really a man cave movie or not? And I, you know, it's certainly a Halloween appropriate movie, if nothing else. Um, I, as I've said, ghost stories hit me like nothing else. I can watch any kind of other horror; doesn't really affect me. But ghost stories just get under my skin. And this was a movie I saw when I was younger, and it just literally scared the bejeebers out of me. And uh, it held up, you know. I'm later viewing it held up. Uh, great cast, very much a psychological drama. Ken, as you said, it's that's basically what this movie is. This is there's really no action per se in this movie. Uh, all that said, uh, I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I understand. So. All right, nice. I no, I agree. I respect that. That that's a good that's a good rating. All right. Uh, so there you go. Uh, there you go, folks. That is the uh, the man cave movie review of this great and fantastic film. So um, again, uh, hold on a second, Corbin, go away. <laughs> Sorry, folks. My dog is bugging me right now. That is our rendition of a scary movie for the month of uh, Halloween, as I used to call it, or October. God damn it, Corbin. I'm trying to. <laughs> Is that dog humping your leg? He's wanting to play catch. I swear to God. Well, he's just got to bring it back if you just throw it across the room. That's what I he's tr- supposed to do. I tr- well, the problem is if I throw it over in the corner where he can't get it, he'll start barking. <laughs> All right, folks, there you go. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review. Episode 251. Am I right on that? Yeah, 251. So there you go. Hope you like this show. So I'm your host, Steve Michaels. I I take that back. Temporary host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good (laughs) dear friend, uh, Ken... I, 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 like I said, I did this off the cuff. I don't have a name for you. So my good dear friend, Ken, signing off. My, my house wants me. My, my house must have me. <laughs> I cannot leave my house. Just, just be careful driving when you leave your house, all right? I, I'm always careful driving. Right. I'm in a company car. The company would look askance if I wrecked my car. Very good. Nice. All right. And saying, Aver, adieu, and Aviator's Day, and Zara, the good dear friend. The Reverend Deuteronomy Skaggs slash Brian. I got nothing funny to say here. Yeah. <laughs> Other than happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. So there you go, folks. This is our Halloween edition for the Man Cave Movie Review. Hope you enjoyed the show. 
hopefully Jeff will get his uh, computer uh, hooked up with the ionosphere and he will be back. But until next show, ciao.